Welcome to Overlooked, a podcast by Tunuka Media. My name is Yemi, and I'll be your host for the show. In this podcast, I introduce you to potentially overlooked news stories from around the world. This will include the good, the bad, and sometimes the absolutely hilarious. To keep you informed, I pick up stories that may have been missed by your home news network. The Overlooked podcast is produced every week and covers news articles from the previous week. Come back often, share with your friends, and feel free to add the podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. My goal is to make sure you have a pleasant and engaging listening experience every single time you tune in. So drop me a note on Twitter or Facebook. Just search for Tunuka Media. That is T-U-N-U-K-A Media. Episodes are also hosted on YouTube on the Tunuka Media YouTube channel. Again, that is T-U-N-U-K-A Media. Links to the stories will also be posted in the show notes. Finally, if you come across stories or articles that you think should be featured here, please share them and let us all keep informed. Now, let's get to this week's episode. How is everyone out there? Hope you guys are doing well, keeping safe, staying indoors as much as you reasonably can. And so what I wanted to do is start this week's episode with some nice and uplifting news. So in our first story this week, Atlanta media mogul Tyler Perry paid the groceries for all shoppers during senior hour on Wednesday morning. So that would be, I think, Wednesday the 8th. And he had paid for all seniors at 44 different Kroger supermarkets in Metro Atlanta and 29 Winnie Dixies in his hometown of New Orleans. One of the seniors, Phil Clore, 64, had said that when he went to his local Kroger during the senior hour and he was almost finished shopping, an employee had come up to him and told him that he should get to the cashier by 8 a.m. When he arrived, a grocery bag had already been placed on the credit card reader, so he tried to take the bag off so he could pay himself. The grocery clerk had said he shouldn't worry about it and his groceries, which were 290 US dollars, had been paid in full. Now, this must have been such an awesome feeling for him that day. So Phil Clore still has a job. So what he did was that he decided to pay forward and he immediately donated $300 to the Atlanta Community Food Bank. Our next story is from Saskatchewan, Canada. Researchers in Saskatchewan have said that they have successfully decontaminated testrons of N95 masks for reuse. Now, this is awesome because, as you may have heard, there's potential for scarcity of these masks, which healthcare workers use amidst the growing cases of COVID-19. And so these researchers have found a way to decontaminate this mask so that they could be used as a backup. The researchers at Vidal Intervac said that they had successfully decontaminated a small batch of N95 masks for reuse. The goal is to create an emergency backup supply in partnership with the province of Saskatchewan. Now, according to Volker Gertz, Director of Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization International Vaccine Center, that is a mouthful, Vido Intervac at the University of Saskatchewan, the N95 masks can be decontaminated for use between 5 and 10 times. The Saskatchewan Health Authority has set the limit at 5 times. Gertz estimates that Vido Intervac could possibly decontaminate up to a couple thousand masks per week. Gertz also said the process could be extended to other personal protective equipment, also known as PPE, and is an excellent contingency plan for potential shortages. 
So the next story I'm going to cover is a follow-up to a story I did last week. So last week being the video you might have seen for April the 4th. So the week of April the 4th. Now, in that episode, I had covered a story about Google's decision to publish user location data to help tackle the coronavirus. As of this week, the first reports of the analysis have come out. Google's mobility report looked at phone tracking data from the day of February 5th, 2020, then compared it to the day of March 31st, 2020, in order to examine the percentage change. Overall, the initial data, at least for the U.S., says that most states are hitting the stay-at-home orders. Now, go ahead and check out the websites. I've put the links, as usual, in the description. I've put the link to lawsuit.com, where they've already visualized the data for parts of the U.S., and then I've also put the links to Google's community reports. In Google's community reports, you're going to be able to search for information for your local area. Why don't you check it out and let me know what you think. The next story is from Yemen. The World Food Program is expected to cut aid in half in Houthi-controlled areas of Yemen. The World Food Program is a UN agency that feeds more than 12 million Yemenis a month, 80% of whom are in areas controlled by Houthi forces. The, so the WFP is said to have aid to part of Yemen's Houthi-controlled areas due to a funding crisis. According to the UN, some donors have stopped their aid over concerns that deliveries were being obstructed by Houthi forces. From mid-April, families will get aid every other month instead of monthly. In some background, the Houthis seized control of much of the west of the country just over five years ago. The war in Yemen has been described as the world's worst humanitarian crisis by the United Nations. According to the UN's UNICEF, more than 24 million people, or some 80% of the population, are in need of humanitarian assistance, including more than 12 million children. So about half of those who need humanitarian assistance are actually children. Now, in response to this, Houthi officials have hit back accusing aid agencies, including the World Food Program, of corruption and mismanagement. Now, for over half a decade, Yemen has been married in political unrest and conflict, which intensified in 2015, and as of today, there's really no signs of resolution. For background and history on the Yemeni conflict, I've included in the show notes some historical links. So these are not the links to the current story, but they're links that I found to help people understand how the conflict in Yemen has gotten to where it is today. So the next story is from China, specifically Guangzhou. Over this last week, I began to see news articles that Africans were being ejected from their homes and hotels in China over fears of the coronavirus. Now, the African community in Guangzhou is on the edge after there has been widespread accounts that were shared on social media of people being left homeless this week as China's warnings against imported coronavirus cases stoke anti-foreigner sentiment. In the southern Chinese city, Africans have been evicted from their homes by landlords and turned away from hotels despite many claiming to have no recent travel history or no contact with COVID-19 patients. According to reports, Foreigners, particularly black people, are currently not allowed to access public places including malls, restaurants, and hospitals. To quell the ejections, a meeting has been held between the African community leaders in Guangzhou and the government, 
Now, those evictors have said that they are being discriminated against. So we have a report from someone called Tobina Victor, a Nigerian student in Guangzhou that said that he had been singled out as having the virus. According to Victor, he had already paid his rent and then was chased out. Since then, himself and others have been sleeping on the streets. Now, this is not limited to first-generation Africans, but to everyone of African origin. Now, this week, the U.S. consulate in Guangzhou warned African Americans to avoid travel to that particular city. In the statement, it says that in response to an increase in COVID-19 infections, officials in Guangzhou metropolitan area escalated scrutiny of foreign nationals. As part of the campaign, police ordered bars and restaurants not to serve clients who appeared to be of African origin. Moreover, local officials have launched a round of mandatory tests for COVID-19, followed by mandatory self-quarantine for anyone with African contacts, end quote. Regardless of recent travel history or previous quarantine completion. Now, African Americans have also reported that some businesses and hotels refuse to do business with them. And that ends the quote from the U.S. Consulate. While some residents have been evicted, others have told news agencies, including the BBC, that they have been put into forced quarantine without knowing the results of their tests. Guangzhou is home to one of China's largest African communities. The increased testing and quarantine measures in the community has come amid heightened media coverage of the so-called second wave of coronavirus cases emanating from infections outside China. Since March, Guangzhou has required people arriving from abroad to be quarantined for 14 days. Now, one aspect of the data that has received less public attention is that on March 26, Vice Minister of Foreign Affairs Lu Zahui said that 90% of the cases imported had Chinese passports. The evicted foreigners are calling on the African Union and the United Nations to intervene and stop the ongoing eviction in the province. Various African countries impacted have advised their citizens to report themselves to their nearest consulate in the Asian country for proper documentation and further action. In our next story, the Chadian army says that it has killed a thousand fighters during an operation against the Boko Haram group in the Lake Chad border region. Lake Chad itself is a vast marshy body of water that borders Niger, Nigeria, Chad, and Cameroon. According to military sources quoted by news agencies, the attack was on an army base in the inland of Boma and lasted for about seven hours. Army spokesman Colonel Aguna told the AFP news agency in particular that 52 troops had died during the operation, which was launched on March 31. Aguna said that the operation, which was launched after nearly 100 soldiers were killed in a Boko Haram attack last month, ended on Wednesday after armed fighters were forced out of the country. It is the first official snapshot of an outcome of Operation Bahoma Anga. That's actually a pretty cool name. Operation Bahoma Anga launched after the March 23 attack by Boko Haram. The Boko Haram insurgency began in northeast Nigeria about a decade ago. The violence has spread to neighboring countries, killing more than 30,000 people and forcing 2 million people from their homes, according to the United Nations. Boko Haram promotes a version of Islam which makes it haram, or forbidden, for Muslims to take part in any political or social activity associated with Western society. This includes voting in elections, wearing shirts or trousers, or receiving circular education. In April 2014, 
Boko Haram drew international condemnation by abducting more than 200 schoolgirls from Chibok, saying it would treat them as slaves and marry them off. The next story takes us to Rwanda, where photojournalist Crystal Ding visited counseling sessions in the country to document the ongoing treatment of those who survived the genocide of 1994. In just 100 days in 1994, about 800,000 people were slaughtered by ethnic Hutu extremists. They were targeting members of the minority Tutsi community, as well as their political opponents, irrespective of their ethnic origin. Sitting in five sessions led by Rwandan counselors, Crystal heard many stories of horror as the participants recalled trauma they had experienced as children. Many had lost their parents, siblings, and extended family. Her photography project is entitled Yours is going to be healed as well. This is a good opportunity to remember one of the worst ethnically motivated violence that occurred in Rwanda, one of the smallest countries in the African mainland. In our next story, Pixar pioneers behind the Toy Story animation win the equivalent of a Nobel Prize in computing. Toy Story is a 1995 American computer animated buddy comedy film produced by Pixar Animation Studios and is released by Walt Disney Pictures. It was the first entirely computer animated feature film, as well as the first feature film from Pixar. This year, two men behind those advancements, Ed Catmull and Pat Hanrahan, are the recipients of the Turing Award. The award recognizes lasting and major contributions to the field of computing and is considered to be the Nobel Prize of Computer Science. Dr. Catmull is one of the founders of Pixar, the studio behind Toy Story. Dr. Hanrahan was one of Pixar's early employees. To make Toy Story and other computer animated feature films possible, both doctors and their teams had to develop ways to get computers to visualize three-dimensional objects. The award is given by the Association of Computing Machinery and comes with a $1 million cash prize split between the winners. I really like Toy Story. At least the original one. Reminds me of good times. Good times indeed. So the next story is intended to shine the light on some of African scientific research capabilities and how that has developed since the onslaught of the Ebola crisis. Now, Africa has had a growing scientific confidence in virology, genomics, and cross-sectional collaborations, and these will inform containment issues for the current epidemic. Groundbreaking work is already underway. Both at the continent-wide level, as well as individual country level, the continent is better prepared to perform research and emerging infections than, during, than it was during the Ebola crisis that started in 2013. For example, the Africa Centers for Disease Control was founded by the African Union in 2016 as a result of the Ebola crisis. One of its outcomes is less than a week after the first confirmed case of COVID-19 in Nigeria, local scientists had reported the first genome sequence from Africa. The sequence was immediately made available for use by the global scientific community. Hopefully, this bit of news will encourage other African countries to commit funding for research on COVID-19 in the continent. Our honorable mention this week will be a story on Chinese Muslims. Now, according to reports, the Chinese government has detained over 2 million Chinese Muslims in camps, which is described as vocational and educational training centers. And now this has happened over the last three years. Experts described it as the largest mass incarceration of an ethnic group since the Holocaust. Frank Lang's latest documentary, China Undercover, features first-hand accounts from people who are held in camps and investigates reported use of surveillance technology and artificial intelligence 
to monitor and track Uyghurs and other Muslims outside the camps in the Xinjiang region. The documentary, released on April 7, is available in the show notes. Otherwise, just Google China Undercover by Frontline. When you watch it, feel free to reach out and let me know what you think. Well, this brings us to the end of this episode. Keep well, be safe, wash your hands, don't touch your face, and follow the advice of your public health officials. Cheers! Thanks for listening. As a reminder, the podcast will be released every week. Also, don't forget to follow Tunoka Media on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Connect to say hi or even share your stories that are happening in your local area or region. Nothing is too big or small. Thanks again. And now for the bloopers. been also rumored to be the silent philanthropist he's also rumored to have been a violent he is be the silent blood philanthropist and things quiet and just doing them oh now this was followed by hawaii which had 63 percent less visits arkansas arkansas had arkansas wait i need to pause it arkansas had the lowest there was a unit now both at the continent-wide level and as and in the uh, if you folks